Wednesday, and welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. If you're unfamiliar with any of these products, don't hesitate to give them a call and ask questions. They're all about helping you live a better life. The number is 405-458-9699. Excellent staff. I'm a customer at Artisan Botanicals, and I can't speak highly enough about the ownership and the staff there. So again, great people that are genuinely looking out for your best interest. So don't hesitate to ask any questions you may have. Plus, we're saving you 15% right now on your online order, abotanicalcompany.com, discount code ColbyShow, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, at checkout for 15% off. Again, abotanicalcompany.com, ColbyShow is the discount code for 15% off. Easy and safe pickup. They have a drive-through, so it's uh, it's very efficient and convenient and uh, price effective right now. Fifteen percent off with that code at abotanicalcompany.com. All right, jumping straight into today's conversation on the Colby Daniels podcast. Eric G from the Tulsa Sports Animal joins me every Tuesday. Eric, what's happening? I am. Uh, there's a couple of stories out there. I mean, with with all the um the Super Bowl hoopla and the aftermath that, that are going on now, there's a couple of stories that really have me interested right now. I've really got my interest peaked. One is this story about um, Texas State down, down in San Marcos where Jake Spavacol is, is the coach. And Jake is um, Jake's from Broken Arrow. His dad coached there for a very long time, and he's had a long career in coaching college football. But he has the only recruiting class this season that didn't sign a single high school player. Every kid that they signed for this year's recruiting class came out of the transfer portal. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, last year they were, I think they they won two games last year. And their class was heavy on freshmen and sophomore and or sophomores. And because you had the pandemic, all those kids get an extra year of eligibility. So in the NCAA's eyes, these kids are still freshmen and sophomores. So sophomores, they've only got five scholarship seniors on the team, so they just completely loaded up kids from the transfer portal. And in the story in the athletics, Fabitol says something that we touched on last week, which was there are there aren't that many scholarships available, and there are a million kids in the transfer portal. Which means sometimes if you are at OU or Oklahoma State and you decide that this is the route you're going to take, the best offer you may get is from a Texas State University. So just know that when you're, when you're going into the transfer portal. Also, it seems like if you're Josh Heupel or somebody who just got a job and you're taking over a program that that's kind of downtrodden. And that's what happens in most cases. You take on a program that has gone through some tough times. That seems to be the quickest way to start building. And, and it's almost a better route than the JUCO route at this time. Steve can't get some upperclassmen. The NCAA is going to enact a rule that allows you to transfer without having to sit out a year so you can get kids on the field quicker. I think it's very interesting to see how all this is going to play out and if whether or not this situation at Texas State is like a one-time only deal, or if it's something that we'll see rebuilding programs, the model we'll see rebuilding programs take. Like SMU does a fantastic job uh, with the transfer portal, getting kids usually from that DFW area 
that went off to play at Big 12 schools, decided that they wanted to leave for some reason. I mean, heck, they've gotten uh, a couple of kids for, from OU, um, including Grant Calcaterra is going to go down there and play. So they that that's how they figured out how they can infuse talent into their program. So, so that has me fascinated right now. Also, the situation down in Houston with Jack Easterby and Nick Casario, who are reportedly firing everyone who they haven't hired because they're looking for people who are completely loyal to them. So a bunch of mindless robots in Houston right now. And while the uh, Texans may not want to trade Deshaun Watson, he may be just angry enough at that organization to sit out because they're doing some extremely strange stuff. That's the only way you can put it. It's It's just weird. You don't need people to be loyal to you in business. You need people to be honest with you in business. And if you can't accept the little pushback, then you can't get better. You can't run your organization any better. You can't think outside of the the proverbial box. And you're going to be stuck just determined that you're right all the time, wanting a bunch of yes men while you continue to go down wrong road after wrong road. And that's no way to be successful. You need someone to tell you when you're doing something wrong. Now, you don't have to listen to them. And you can tell that person things for your input and then decide to go your own way. But it doesn't hurt to have somebody give an opposite opinion of what you're thinking as long as you just don't completely overthink the process. But those two stories have me... That that's kind of that's what I'm into right now. Are, the, are those two stories? I think they're the most fascinating stories in sports right now. Well, first, I think you were being very generous by calling uh, what's happening in Houston a situation. Uh, I think it's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, a dumpster fire. Yeah. See, okay, um, now you're on the right track. Yeah, you were like the situation in Houston, uh, and I'm like, oh, uh, well, Eric, you're being you're being too kind. Uh, I'm trying to think <laughs> of something that I mean, really, honestly, I mean, it's the Hindenburg. That that's what the Houston Texans are. Get get the first Led yeah. Zeppelin album, which is actually a picture of the Hindenburg on fire. And sickly enough, it's the coolest Led Zeppelin cover ever. Um, that's what the Houston Texans are. Just yeah. look at that that first Led Zeppelin album, and there are the Houston Texans right now. And it's only getting worse. It's like how I how do I say this without offending? Okay, I know the question going this. They're like the Church of Scientology right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're it's... just going to kick. They're going to kick everyone out who doesn't conform and believe the way that they do. There, there is, there is, there is no interpretation as to how the how uh, L. Ron Hubbard's Dianetics is written in, in in that organization. Two years ago, I thought we were on the cusp of of watching like a Chiefs Texans rivalry begin for probably the next 10 years in the AFC with with I think the two guys that if if I were drafting quarterbacks today would be my number one and two picks and for them to screw up everything around Deshaun Watson to then in turn screw up the Deshaun Watson relationship to me is unforgivable if you're a Texans fan uh in fact Aaron Davis who's a lifelong Texans fan from the Houston area he roots for all the Houston teams has officially announced that when they finally trade Deshaun Watson, he is changing fandom. He's done with the Texans, and he's going wherever Deshaun Watson goes. Yes, I love it. Fan free agency. We yes. need we need more of that in sports. 
we need more fan free agency. I'm not sure it's quite having the effect that I wanted it to have when I decided to declare myself a fan free agent and go from the Raiders to the Patriots. Um, because the whole, the whole point was if a group of fans did it, maybe owners would listen to the fans and realize they're losing them because they just keep making stupid decisions. Um, I'm not sure it's having that effect, but I, but I love it when fans stand up and take control and say, I'm not going to continue to support a team that does stupid crap. Right. Um, and, and, and honestly, I mean, I mean, the, the Texans, their fans should be leaving in droves right now. Should be them and the Jets, just one after the other. Fans should just be jumping ship, but that's awesome. I, I'm glad to hear that somebody's doing that. That is a, that, I, I'm happy for that man. Happy for that man. And sad, sad that he's got to leave the Texans, uh, but with Deshaun Watson, chances are he'll find a better place, and who knows, he could be rooting for a Super Bowl team yeah. shortly. Yeah. Was your was your uh, free agent fandom from the Raiders to the Patriots done before the Tuck or after the Tuck game? It was it was done after the Tuck. Okay. Um, so you were you were you thought you were rooting for the Raiders in that game, and you thought it was the incorrect call, like most of us, right? Yes, okay. I did. Okay. Um, completely thought that, but yeah, it happened. It happened after that, and it, it was mainly because. And the reason I picked the Patriots, look, I could have picked anyone at that point. Um, but I like the bad guys. I <laughs> love the teams that everybody loves to hate. I, yeah. I've always been um, personality-wise, I'm what you call a salmon. If everybody, if everybody's coming downstream. <laughs> I want to be going up. I want to be going the opposite way of when I see the mass running from the explosion, I want to run towards the explosion. Yeah. So to speak, I don't, I don't trust the masses. I I never have. There, there is, there is something about group think, mass think, whatever that really over the last five years, I feel very justified in, in, Having this kind of philosophy, especially after what we saw at the Capitol a couple of weeks ago, but I just never have trusted. I've never trusted the overwhelming majority of people to tell me something is really bad or really good. And that either makes me really good at the job that I do or really bad at the job I do and pigheaded, depending on how you want to look at it. But at the time, the Patriots had just gone through Spygate. They were about to go undefeated. Nobody wanted to see them go undefeated. They were the they were the <laughs> best story in sports. When you when you look at it, they they were the best story in sports because there was controversy. Yeah, they were winning at an extremely high clip. They were demolishing NFL teams in, in a way that 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 should never be done. Um, they had a quarterback who had dated an extremely beautiful, breathtaking actress. And now all of a sudden he's, you know, marrying this, this supermodel. And you had this curmudgeon old head coach that, I mean, there was just so much to dislike about them and everybody piled on. I went, Nope. Yep. That's where I'm going. I, I'm going right toward, I'm going right towards the death star. I love because, that it happened on the undefeated season. Like that was the, yeah, that it, was the moment you jumped on. Well, actually I, I jumped on the year. I, I officially jumped on the year after that, the year that Brady got hurt, but I'm going like, I'm going right towards that. Okay. Because there is, there is no way 
And I remember that whole year. That was actually my first year of doing a sports talk show. And I'm like, there's just, there's no way these guys are as bad as everyone says they are. And just because they were filming some people's signals, it doesn't take away their talent. Um, and what, what made it so easy for me to have those kind of stances is the only other talk show host on the station at the time, who was the program director, um, ripped off Dan Patrick. I mean, seriously, he would listen to Dan Patrick's show and almost quote Dan Patrick's lines a lot. And everybody knew it. And, you know, Dan Patrick is pretty formulaic. He's a great host. He's a fantastic host, but he's pretty formulaic. Steroids are bad. Five gate is bad. The flake gate is bad. Um, lives in kind of this Bob Costas esque purity of sports kind of world where I'm like, no, I, I think it's a lot more gray than that. When you start talking about why, I mean, if you just can, if you just look on the surface of why people are doing steroids. And you're thinking it's strictly for these records or strictly for this money. No, you got to dig a little bit deeper on that. What, what, what is, what is the real reason? Is it just that? I mean, is it just, is there nothing deeper than that? Or are there deeper reasons than that? You're telling me that the Patriots don't have any talent because somehow they just had everybody's defensive schemes. Nah, I'm not buying that either because if Tom Brady couldn't throw a lick, then they wouldn't have amassed three Super Bowls by that time and had an opportunity to go undefeated. So it was just kind of that that thinking of it's all bad or it's all good that that, that led me to fall in, in, in the Patriot camp. And it was very, it was it, it's a lot of they're a, they're a fun team to follow because there's never any shortage of storylines with them. And right now it is so incredibly fun to listen to Boston Sports Talk Radio because everybody's just hammering Bill Belichick, hammering Robert Kraft. And my first thought was, is, A, I don't think Kraft cares because I think Kraft wanted Bill Belichick more than he wanted Tom Brady, and he made that commitment a long time ago, way even before Tom Brady was signed. And I think, too, Belichick, I think what he wants more, everybody talks about him wanting another Super Bowl. Yes, he wants that. But what he wants more than anything is complete, total control of his team. That is a man who has succeeded in the NFL, but would be so good at running a college program because he has to be the one in control. And while he was crummy last year, he's in control. He has ultimately what he wants. Does he want to beat Tom Brady? Does he want to show him up? Sure. I mean, that part's pretty obvious, but the man wants control and he has all that. And the fun thing to talk about now is whether or not that's to the detriment of the organization or the good of the organization. And the opinion now is to the, to the detriment of the organization. Give it two, three years, and if all of a sudden they're winning and challenging the Chiefs, well, then it was to the good of the organization. Um, I'm going to say that's not going to happen because um, – even watching them be as bad as they were on Sunday, I don't know who exactly is going to challenge the Chiefs in the AFC if it's not the Buffalo Bills or the Ravens. Um, but Bill's got control. Bill can make his decisions. Let's see if he can do better than what, than what he did. I, I'm, I'm all on board for, for watching how Bill Belichick does the draft and free agency over these next couple of years. I am 
so just sitting on the edge of my seat wondering who he's going to bring in because right now he looks completely lost and can he can he overcome that 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 that's fascinating to me versus sticking with the Raiders knowing they're going to do the same thing every time which is draft stupidly and sign free agents that just for some reason seem to be past their prime when they get into silver black or the silver black or don't have a big enough impact for them to make any run in the playoffs whatsoever. Is it interesting to you that we don't hear very many, um, I guess, rumors or, or just speculation that they may go after one of these quarterbacks that's now available? Because obviously Aaron Rodgers didn't make it a secret that he was unhappy with the Green Bay situation. And for the last like three weeks, we've all uh, kind of played the what-if game with Aaron Rodgers. Deshaun Watson is obviously available. Yesterday, Russell Wilson, news comes out on Russell Wilson that he's unhappy in Seattle and and he potentially wants out. Uh, you've got a guy like Carson Wentz that it looks like his days are numbered in Philadelphia. And then you have a draft class with like, you know, potentially five different guys that could go in the first round. Um, I it, The Patriots haven't really been linked to any of, of those situations. And no, it doesn't surprise me, one, um, because... I think if anything, they're looking for, for lack of a better term, they're looking for the next Tom Brady. So that guy's going to come in the draft. And you have to ask yourself, after Trevor Lawrence is taken, after Josh Fields is taken, the kid out of uh, North Dakota State, is that guy in the draft? And Mac Jones, I think you and I disagree a little bit on Mac Jones. I'm not near as high on him as I've heard some other people, and I don't think the Patriots are either. Um, and when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, okay, you're going to have to give up a ton for him. How much time are you going to have him for? I mean, if you're doing that, essentially, if you go out and get Aaron Rodgers, you put yourself in a position like Tampa Bay is in now, hoping that Aaron Rodgers is going to, one, play another three or four years and two playing in that three or four years is going to be able to continue to perform at a high clip. Sam Darnold to me makes sense because I think if he were to get in that system, work with Josh McDaniel, be a part of Bill Belichick, have that discipline where he's focused, it would do him a lot of good, but a, he's already suffered a lot of pressure in New York. And coming into New England, there's a hell of a lot more pressure on you because now you're expected to be as good as Tom Brady, which is absolutely ridiculous. But that's what people are going to expect. And I don't know if he's mentally tough enough to, to do that. I really don't. Russell Wilson would make a lot of sense. But again, how much do you want to give up to get him? And, and the other thing about I, if there's anybody I think they should go after, it's Deshaun Watson. I just don't know if they've got the capital. Right. to get Deshaun Watson, and because he has a no-trade clause and can shoot the finger at any trade, right now with what the Patriots don't have, I don't see Deshaun Watson wanting to jump, wanting to, to be a part of that roster anytime soon. It just doesn't, he wants to go someplace where he can win instantly, and the Patriots, at best, are what, two, three years away? at the earliest, and for Deshaun Watson, that's, yeah. that's too long to wait. So, Russell, look, I would love nothing more than to see Russell Wilson be a Patriot. Um, dude is my favorite player in the NFL right now who is not Pat Mahomes. I love both those guys. But I'm also not buying that he's, that he's unhappy in Seattle. 
And Wilson strikes you as the type of guy that wants a Brady slash Jeter type legacy where he'd like to be known for one organization his entire career. But I also think that, that we're missing the big point on Russell Wilson. If he's unhappy in Seattle, what does that say about the Sonics? What does that say about the Seahawks and the Mariners? I mean, obviously people want to leave that place. It's dark. It's dreary. Rains a lot. Sure. Yeah. They've given us great music. They've given us, they gave us Nirvana. And for that alone, they gave us Jimi Hendrix. Heck, they gave us heart. Um, that we Pearl Jam, bro. Come on. Bit. Pearl Jam. Yeah. Well, okay. Pearl Jam. I was going to say Soundgarden, Allison Chains, Mud Honey. Um, but after that, what has Seattle given us? I mean, there's a reason the Thunder are here now. They, they right? lost an NBA team and the and Griffey. <laughs> like you've you've lost your right to sports. <laughs> and and they lost an MLB team prior to the Mariners who went to Milwaukee. And the pilots, they were there for one year. The pi- it took the pilots one year to realize, man, this place sucks. Yeah. No thanks. <laughs> no thanks. So Russell Wilson now realizes that it's just too bad there's not an NFL team here in Oklahoma City he can come to. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, does he want to play basketball? We, we can make him part of the Thunder. I think he'd be a hell of a point guard. I mean, put, he's put he, he played uh, he played minor, the three of the two. Didn't he play some minor league baseball? Like he's a he's a pretty good athlete. Yeah, I'm sure he has he's a jump shot. I mean, we'll put yeah, we'll put him a point guard. Shea can play the three or the or the two, and then yeah, yeah, yeah Shea can play the three. Lou will stay at the two. Yeah, Russell Wilson there is your point guard. Bring Russell Wilson to Oklahoma City. We'll make him a member of the Thunder. By the way, that would be awesome. Who is the best football play? Who is the best basketball playing football player? Because um, we had guys like Donovan McNabb played both at Syracuse. Um, Julius Peppers played both at North Carolina. Ronald oh, Curry also uh, played Gonzalez. both. Oh, Tony that's, yes, you're right. You're right. Tony Gonzalez. I had to think for a second. Tony Gonzalez. Uh, didn't Jimmy Graham play basketball? Jimmy Graham didn't play I, college football. Did he not? I don't think. I don't, uh, let me look, I'm looking that up. I don't think. Charlie Ward, I, Heisman winner and first round draft pick in the NBA. Yeah, and poor well, dude I had mean, to I go guess, to the next. Is he a, <laughs> I don't know, does he qualify as a football player or a basketball player? Um, I think he is a basketball player that was okay. just really good at football. Okay. He chose the right career path. Look, Agreed. He's got a choice yeah. between if you've got a choice between basketball, football, baseball, football, always take the B sports. You're gonna, you should have a longer yeah. career, and when you're 40, your sentences will still make sense. Yeah. So that just, you know, that goes without saying. Look at. Uh, I had him on the Jimmy podcast uh, about three months ago, and I, like I, we, we kind of had that conversation about like how all that played out and how he ended up doing the basketball thing, and it was really interesting. Oh, that's that's fantastic! Yeah. I have to go back and listen to that. Yeah. He's a, he's an interesting cat. He is a really interesting cat. Now Jimmy went to Miami, so I don't know what I was thinking there. Um, Are you? Uh, were yeah, you thinking I of? Think, um, I, I you're right. There is a tight end. Maybe Antonio Gates was he? Yeah, that's who I was thinking. It was Antonio Gates. I was going to say maybe. I think there is a tight what? end that played basketball and didn't play college football for like maybe part of their career, or uh, I don't remember exactly the scenario, but. Looking yeah. at man, Antonio Gates is forty. Good God, how did that happen? 
<laughs> yeah, Gates, Gates played basketball in college. Okay. Um, he he played he played basketball, or he enrolled to play basketball for Tom Izzo at Michigan State. Um, but God, he's forty. How did Antonio Gates become forty? When when did when did that happen? That shouldn't happen. Antonio Gates is still twenty eight, still the greatest, one of the greatest tight ends to ever play. He should never be forty. Tom Brady should never be forty three. Of course, he doesn't look it, but God, just makes you feel old. Dude, Kobe Tom Brady looks happened. younger. Than he did like 10 years ago. I'm not even kidding. Like, have you, obviously this week, everybody's seen the different photos of Tom Brady throughout this, you know, crazy run that he's had. And I'm not even kidding you. I, I think he looks younger now than he did five, 10 years ago. Well, it just goes to show you how much, it, it just goes to show you in America, we don't give a damn. We do not give a damn about ourselves. Because when you look at Tom Brady and the life he's having now, you're strictly talking about the health stuff because, look, let's face it, unless you look like him, you're not going to end up with a supermodel. You're not going to end up with Bridget Moynihan. But you look at the life that he's living now. He's fit. He's in shape. He seems to, to have not only prolonged his career, but he seems to be prolonging his life. He doesn't eat white sugar, doesn't eat white flour, um, doesn't eat pepper, does, doesn't eat like hot peppers, doesn't eat eggplant. He's got all these dietary restrictions. And the fact of the matter is, is he might be one of three people in this country who can do a diet like that and be disciplined enough to do it. Everybody, like, we don't care. Bring on the all-you-can-eat ribs of Billy Sims. I am all about that. That's just us in America. It's like, if I'm going to die at the age of 50, I'm going to die happy and fat. That says Looking at Tom Brady, it yeah. says more about us than it does him because if he is the model of what you want your life to be like, what you aspire to, then why not take every aspect of his life and apply it to yours? And most of us, you know, you, you hit that drive, <laughs> you hit that drive down restaurant row, man, and then all of a sudden, you know, you can smell that swadley smoke, and you're like, "Ah, oh, to hell with it! <laughs> I'm going in. I'm going in. I'm done. I'm going to get, get you know, pull, pull over at Rudy's. Yeah, yeah. give me a yeah. gallon of the give me a gallon of the cream corn, um, two racks of ribs, and uh, no, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I, I would say this, oh, yeah. you know, for the normal person, that's a much greater step to take than it is for Tom Brady, because if you're if you're just you know Joe who, uh, you know, does a normal eight to five job. Um, like what is drastically going to change in your life? If you start doing this, maybe you look better, but I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think like it, it drastically changes your life. If you're Tom Brady and you're, you're like the most famous athlete in the world, when you start to slip, you have everything to lose. So like maintaining, the popularity and, and everything that he has going for him is probably an easier situation to make that transition into his diet than it is for the, for the regular eight to fiver. Well, what I'd argue with that is that it just means we're a bunch of liars. <laughs> and we always say we, we love our kids. We love our wives. We want to be around forever. And that's truly what means something to us is, is family, like, especially here in Oklahoma. You're, you're in Oklahoma, you're in any part of the South. People will tell you that family means more to them than anything in the world. Without family, people wouldn't be what they are, whatever. 
and you're not, none of us, look, myself included, okay, but believe me, this is not point finger at, at, at you time, if you're listening to this, this is point finger at me time, not disciplined enough to take those steps to be around as long as they would like us to be around. Um, and, you know, it's just, that's how you're wired. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to make that turn, but with high blood pressure, which I suffer from, sleep apnea, which I probably suffer from and haven't been diagnosed, um, you know, low testosterone, like we've got all these problems today, all this stuff that can easily be fixed with just simple changes, and yet, ah, eh, the hell with it, you know, give me the, give me the double cheeseburger with bacon. With, with bacon and the side of fries covered in cheese and bacon. That's <laughs> how we roll in America. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> we, 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 we have given up. I mean, look, we've got pizza that has bacon that has, a, a, a what was it, 16, how long it was, the Little Caesars, they would throw bacon around it. That's us. Yeah. That's us in America. Yeah. That's who we are. And, and look, I'm thankful for it. I'm looking at this thing right now. It's, uh, it's like a hot dog with cheese steaks and tater tots on it. I'm all about it. I mean, look, my Super Bowl spread uh, probably took uh, time off my life, for sure. Not probably, it did. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. mine did, too. Yeah. Mine did, too. We had pulled pork nachos, so they pulled oh, pork nachos. Oh, like, nice, yeah, nice. Uh, I do, like, ah, yeah, we got more of these? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I do want to come back to your to the recruiting thing that you talked about, because I think that's really fascinating. Uh, but since we're on the Tom Brady thing, let's just jump into the Super Bowl. I, I want to say this statement first, because... Uh, I, I don't make it a secret that I don't root for Tom Brady. I root against Tom Brady, and that in no way is reflective of my opinion on how good he is or the respect I have for him. I just, you know, I, I'm going to root against Tom Brady for as long as he's playing. Uh, so there's that. So in saying that, it, it feels like every time I have a take on Tom Brady, I get somebody that's like, well, you're a hater, so that's that's why your opinion is this way. Um which drives me insane because it's you know I, oh I, oh yeah because they want because they want you to lie as as our former coworker David Garrett would say they want you to lie and affirm their opinions doesn't mean you're a right. hater you just have a right. different opinion than them <laughs> so my opinion is while Tom Brady was really good in the Super Bowl I think it's crazy that he is the headline after what that defense did against an offense that we all for two weeks talked about being completely unstoppable, even with the tackles missing. And I told you a week ago, I thought those guys being out was a significant thing. And I thought that if they weren't out, to me, I wouldn't have even entertained the Buccaneers winning this game. But I thought it was going to be a good game simply because the Buccaneers were going to be able to get pressure. But I, 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 I in no way expected that the Buccaneers were going to prevent Kansas City from even scoring a touchdown. I think the defensive performance from Tampa Bay on Sunday is being completely overshadowed by, uh, obviously, a guy that is the greatest to ever play the position, the greatest to ever play the sport. Uh, but, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, if you take his name off the back of that jersey and that's anybody else with that same performance, I mean, it's 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 not a headline. I mean, he was good, but he, I don't know. I just It wasn't like a... Well, a great game. It, it wasn't a... You know, he didn't have a game-winning drive. He, he didn't throw for 400 yards. It was... It was, it was just a, it was a good game by Tom Brady. Well, first of all, he's not the greatest to have ever played the position. And, and you and I are opposite on Tom Brady because I absolutely love the guy. But off the top of my head, Roger Staubach, Steve Young, 
Mike Vick, Pat Mahomes, all these guys have more in their arsenal than, than, than Tom Brady has. And if, and if I'm building a team, I'm those are the four guys that, that I'm starting with. I'm starting with Russell Wilson before I, I start with, with Tom Brady. So to say that he is the greatest to have ever played the position, it's simply only looking at the Super Bowls. It's not looking at his athletic ability. It's not looking at his arm strength or his accuracy. And if you're so astute at football, and put on the film, tell me something Tom Brady does better than any of those guys that I mentioned. Tell me there's, what is one thing that Tom Brady does better than Roger Staubach? We'll get back to that in a second. The other point you made was, was bang on. The MVPs of that game, and here's, here's who you should have MVPs. Here's where the conversation should have began. Rob Gronkowski, who had just, I mean, look, he looked like he was three or four years younger in that game and had two touchdown catches. Shaq Barrett, Jason Pierre-Paul, and Devin White. No point was, was Tom Brady the best player or the most valuable player in Levant, that game. Levante David would have probably got my vote, honestly. Yeah, well, no, I think it's a good pick, too. Um, and that crazy stat that Pat Mahomes ran for, what was it, over 500 yards before ever throwing the ball <laughs> or, 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 or whatever it is, just really speaks to what that Tampa Bay defense did. But, but yeah. aside from putting pressure on Pat Mahomes, maybe the bigger story was how they covered and how, how they covered Kansas City's, Kansas City's receivers because the one thing you worried about in this game, yes, Kansas City was missing two tackles. So Pat Mahomes could, play, could make plays with his legs. And all he really had to do, this was the thing going into the game, all he really had to do was make sure he got the ball to McCole Hardman, that he got the ball to um, Tyreek Hill or Kelsey. And those guys were going to make plays, especially as two speedsters. Because, unfortunately, you can't practice for speed. You, you can't simulate that. You're, you're, if your fastest guy that you have on scout team or on the team isn't faster than either one of those guys, then you're not going to be prepared for it. Kansas City made sure those guys didn't have a – or Tampa Bay made sure those guys didn't have a big impact on the game. That's not Tom Brady. That's either Todd Bowles, if you want to give credit to the defensive coordinator for his scheme, or that's their players being able to make plays. And when you saw the corners get sort of taken out of position, the safeties were there to, to, to make plays. So you're absolutely right. Why? The only reason Tom Brady was named MVP is because they were giving him a Lifetime Achievement Award. I mean, that's, a, that's all that was. Well, 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 it was a coronation for Tom Brady. And not saying that Tom Brady doesn't deserve accolades. He certainly does. I mean, we're, we're probably never going to see anyone play in 10 Super Bowls again, let alone win seven. That's probably never going to be done because it's a one-and-done sport. Guys aren't normally going to play till they're, till they're 43. Um, some of the guys that we mentioned retired much younger than, than, than Tom Brady did. So he's, he's sort of, he's sort of an, he, he is an anomaly. Um, but to just completely, for the voters to completely ignore what really happened on that field, that, that's, the word travesty is a little bit too dramatic for this, but it was, but it was just, it was ridiculous. There were so many other players 
that seemed to have bigger impacts on the game than Tom Brady did. But it just felt like, okay, well, you came here and you stuck it to Belichick and you're 43 and you and and the guy on the other side was Pat Mahomes, MVP. Like yeah. it was like last year, Damian Williams should have been the MVP last year, not Pat Mahomes. And we and look, I love Pat Mahomes, but Damian Williams was huge in the Super Bowl last year. He was the MVP, and it just feels like the voters are just going to swing with the. They're going to swing with the quarterback if they get a chance, especially one who is the best story. And unfortunately for those that just want to make it an open and shut case that Tom Brady's the greatest to ever play, um, there's one more thing they can throw out in in their argument. Yeah, no, I I I I think you nailed it. I mean, everything you just said, I think is is uh, is spot on. Um, Your point about you know obviously not having the same tools uh, with Brady compared to those other guys is is also spot on. You know, again, I I think when you just look at the accomplishments. Um, that makes up for, for some of that in, in my opinion. But, you know, I, I said this a week ago and I, I, I stick to it. Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers are still the two most skilled quarterbacks I've ever watched play the game. I I still think that when you take into account everything that those guys are capable of and, and bring to any matchup, uh, those two guys are at the top of that conversation. But when I say the greatest, I just mean that, you know, from a leadership standpoint, from an accomplishment standpoint, from a, from an ability to play the position at a high level, longevity, like all of those things accumulated into one. That's why Tom Brady is is the GOAT. That's why he's the best that's ever done it. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, even going back to the Super Bowl two years ago, that was one of those things that was more about the Patriots defense than it was Tom Brady. And you look at his last two Super Bowl runs, Eric, his defenses didn't give up a touchdown in the last two Super Bowls. And again, like, this isn't a Tom Brady hate fest. It's that he gets, like, all of the spotlight in two Super Bowls that are completely about defenses having all-time great Super Bowl performances. Well, maybe that says less about Tom Brady and about the way we cover sports now and uh, about... Maybe we, and this this is another fascinating discussion, we've moved away from what the real story is and we go with the low-hanging fruit because we know the low-hanging fruit will sell. We know that people will, will watch and will listen because people want their opinions to be affirmed. Right. So... With the majority of America right now thinking that Tom Brady is the, is the greatest football player ever, not just quarterback, greatest football player ever, they want to hear somebody like Colby Daniels, Max Kellerman, um, Stephen A. Smith, the people on the NFL Network, their local part. They, they want to hear somebody say that. And any dissenting opinion means that you're just being a contrarian or <laughs> right. you are – or as you said, you're you're just a hater. You you just, you, you just don't like this. this. This this was it. This this is it's open and shut. How can anyone argue otherwise? It's like well, it, if you think about it, <laughs> which is the great thing about sports is it's so hard to come to a conclusion on on, on certain arguments. And if anybody is smart enough or articulate enough, you can always make the case. It doesn't mean somebody has to agree with you. You can always make a case for it. And with, with Tom Brady, it's not being a, a hater. Tom Brady's just the low-hanging fruit. 
And you're absolutely right. I mean, that, that the one they went, they beat the Rams on. That was a, they scored 13 points that game. That really was all about the defense. And the 28 to three comeback, you can make an argument that that was more about the Falcons having a crummy game plan at the end and continuing to throw the ball instead of bleed the clock. Yeah giving Brady and Edel- Edelman time to, to, to make plays. I mean, as fun as that was to watch, there are things you can pick apart about it. Um, I, just, I also think, really Eric, w- like so often in, in sports, and, and you know this, we, we all create narratives going into any matchup, right? Like we, we're, the things to look right. for, like this is what to pay attention to, this is what I'm excited about. And, and it's like, I think people get so attached to those narratives that when you come out on the other side, like you're still so attached to that, that that, that is your takeaway as well. And, and you know, you can go into a game and maybe your narrative is, you know, it's the battle of the two greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. Well, if both, if both guys play like shit, then you're not coming out of that game being like, well, this guy beat this guy. And now, you know, based on the narrative that I had going into this game, I'm coming out with this guy was the better, you know, it like, that's not the way the game was played. The game didn't really give us the matchup that we built up. So you, you, I think people just fail to adjust to what like the biggest story was versus what they thought it was going to be. The biggest story going into that Super Bowl, no question was Mahomes versus Brady, but we didn't get the shootout Mahomes and Brady, like going back and forth, you know, trading big play for big play. We got the Tampa Bay defense having a historic, night and I think in my opinion mostly because I just respect the hell out of Kansas City's offense I, I think it's the greatest defensive performance in Super Bowl history oh you know that I, we were talking about that yesterday I, I that is it's funny and I always trying to give people um ammo too because there's, there's always going to be those that are just loyal to the 2000 Ravens or loyal to the steel curtain 85 Bears um, yeah for, yeah, for, for all their great defensive performances. And you know, Colby, it wasn't just the maybe the greatest performance. Now, if you want to take away, okay, and this is just strictly for argument's sake. This isn't necessarily how I feel, but if you want to take away from this and argue for 85 Bears versus the, the Patriots, you can say, well, Kansas City was missing their two tackles, and, and that's why guys like Chad Barrett, Vita Bea, Jason Pierre-Paul and 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 the Dominic and Sue were able to have such an impact on the game. Okay, there's your ammo for that. But you want to go further and argue for Tampa Bay. You don't just argue about this Super Bowl. You argue about the two games before it, how they beat um, Drew Brees, and then how they beat Aaron Rodgers. And you look at that Ravens run in in the 2000s. They beat um, oh crap, who did I? Can't remember who they beat in the first round, but Steve McNair, Rich Gannon, and uh, Collins were <laughs> the three quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah. Kerry Collins in the Super Bowl. Yeah, Kerry Collins to win. And I forgot who I, I forgot who they beat in the first round, but it was somebody that made you go, okay. <laughs> it, it really was uh, the I think it was the Jake Plummer Denver Broncos. Yes, yes, it was. It was either I couldn't remember. It was Jake Plummer. Or if it was uh, Brian Greasy, but yeah, yeah, you know, one of the two. I, I just pulled it up and it said two thousand Broncos, so I was I, I couldn't remember which guy was immediately uh, following Elway. But so yeah. it's not to say they weren't dominant, but yeah, if you want to make that argument that a little bit of shine is taken off 
based on who they had to play versus yeah. who the Buccaneers had to play. The 85 Bears played to- Tony Eason and Steve Grogan, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Did they? Who did they? I'm trying to remember who they played in the in the NFC Championship that year. It seems like they. I mean, because at that time Montana was still playing, Phil Sims was still playing for the Giants. Um, they played the. They beat the Rams 24-0. Well, okay, so they shut out the Giants in the divisional round 21-0, and then shut out the Rams in the NFC Championship 24-0. Okay, so and I can't remember who was playing quarterback for the Rams in. So they would have beaten, I think, Phil Sims. Phil Sims was the best quarterback they beat. And Phil Sims is not a Hall of Famer. Yeah. So this has been the most impressive, not just game, but run by a defense. And for those of us that love watching defensive football, it was heartwarming to see how fast and physical these cats were. How about, I mean, Leonard Fournette. Well, Tom Brady's getting all the credit. How about Leonard Fournette rejuvenating his career in the playoffs? And he's figured out the key, calling himself playoff Fournette or playoff Leonard or whatever he's calling him. Yeah, hey, when you sit down and negotiate your next contract with whoever it is, in that contract, you put in that contract, you are limited to X number of carries during the regular season. And then you say, just use and abuse me throughout the playoffs. Because that's what I'm good. Do not wear me out for the playoffs. Man, he was he was so fierce in, during during this run. It was he never once avoided contact and yeah. picked up ahead of speed. With it, it was like watching Adrian Peterson and and Jim Brown. I mean, just for I mean, not as good a version of those guys, obviously, but it was just like yes, the physical back. It was great to watch him run physical defense it was old school football and that that was a lot of fun that that was a lot of fun to watch because i mean as, as the nfl starts to move towards the spread and more of a, more of a quarterback what we saw all around from the tampa bay buccaneers we're going to see less less and less of so what we may have just watched is sort of the last traditional football team when when a super bowl yeah, because honestly, I don't, I don't think they're going back, and it's not because they're not good. But the Saints will be good next year. The Seahawks will be good next year. The um, uh, Cardinals should be. I mean, heck, their division, their division again between the Forty ers Cardinals, and Seahawks will be really good. Or, or no, and Rams will be really good. So that I was saying about the Rams. So you get the the, the whole everybody in the West will be good. The Saints will be good again. You think somebody from the East might actually be above 500. Um, the Packers aren't going anywhere anytime soon. And, and who knows what the Bears are going to do with the possible Carson Wentz trade. Yeah, I don't see I don't see the Buccaneers repeating. I think they'll be really good. But I think if you make it out of that, yeah, I would expect you to win the Super Bowl. But I think the NFC is just so much deeper and tougher than the AFC that it's it's hard to see anyone being able to do that back-to-back seasons. There's yeah. a lot of those teams that are going to be good for the next two or three years. Yeah. It's it's really tough to compare, like, eras. Uh, you know, eight, the 85 Bears to the 2020 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's, it's, you know, apples to oranges in terms of how the game was played. But like I said, not taking anything away from the Bears. Obviously, the, the, that defense was terrific. Two shutouts in the playoffs and then – 
basically they they give up 10 points to the the Patriots in that Super Bowl but the final touchdown was in the fourth quarter at the end like when the game was over so I mean they were they were completely dominant but like I you know we, we talked about the quarterbacks who they were playing this wasn't Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs that have all the weapons they have and just can beat you in so many ways it, you know at, like the uh, the 2000 Ravens beat the Kerry Collins New York Giants I, I was uh, I was going through the defensive performances yesterday. The uh, Denver Broncos in 2015 uh, were really good in the Super Bowl against Cam Newton. They held the Panthers to 10 points. That was the, you know, Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware were just dominant in that game. Uh, the Seahawks in 2013, the Legion of Boom group, uh, held that Peyton Manning team, and, and that was the year Manning went for 5,400 yards and 55 touchdowns to eight points in the Super Bowl. So that one is that one's up there as well. But, uh, yeah, I, I just think when you consider – how physically dominant that group was for four quarters on Sunday against that opponent. I, I just, uh, I don't know how it's not getting more spotlight to me. So, well, it's just like you said, you, you've got, you've got the, you've got the golden boy yeah. who is, is going to be on everybody's mind. And it, it's the easiest argument to have right now. Give it time. You know, it's one of these things as, as time goes on, um, when when you do a football life, uh, when the NFL Network does a football life, you're, that's, that's when you'll see people say, oh, yeah, by the way, um, you know, a lot of yeah. the focus will be, will, will be on that defense. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Um, I, I want to get your take on those uh, the first half penalties. Let me say this also: I don't think that the penalties lost Kansas City the game. Kansas City made a ton of mistakes throughout the game. They failed to adjust in the game, and they were completely, from a physicality standpoint, dominated for four quarters. So, uh, not not uh, not saying that the officiating and the, or the calls by any means lost them the game. But, I mean, obviously, there were a lot of people that thought the officiating in the first half was terrible. There were a lot of people that did, but, but here's, here's the thing about that. Um, one thing you've got to remember, first of all, that, that offsides on that field goal was terrible because it could have been called on two sides. And give Tampa Bay a little credit after that offsides happened, instead of declining it and just keeping the points on, on the board, they went, we had... Tom Brady, let's let's go for it. Let's, let's see if we can't, you know, let's see if we can't put seven points on the board. So give them a little credit for that. The pass interference where Evans flopped, and every look, everybody hates a flopper. It's the thing we hate about soccer in this country. It's the thing that gets James Harden ripped in the NBA. What you have to remember about that situation, if it's close, and and by usually by that time, you know if the refs are calling it tight or if they're letting you play, don't put yourself in that situation. You can moan and complain about it, sure, but it doesn't mean they're going to change how they call. You almost have to leave it up to the coaches to ask why they're calling it so tight. So for some of the past interference, once it was established, this is the way that they're going to call the game, you have to adjust to that. It's sort of like, the best way to put it, it's like the NCAA tournament. Um, which is the hardest championship to win just because it's one and done. You're not, you're playing at odd times. You're not used to how teams are going to ref games. A lot of times you advancing in the NCAA tournament 
comes down to how you adjust to how a game is called. If the refs are letting you be physical and you're a physical team, you have to use that to your advantage. If they aren't and you're a physical team, you just have to hope that you can somehow play defense without fouling and that your shooters will score you enough points or get to the line enough to to keep you afloat, it, it, to take over a game. But that's that's part of the strategy. It's, it, it's human error. So not gonna not gonna pin this one on, on the refs. I mean, that's, they're not even gonna say that they did a horrible job. Kansas City did a bad job of adjusting to how the game was called, and that's something they need, they need to take responsibility for. Fans won't like that, but but Andy Reid probably sort of feels that 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 way today. Um, thinking about everything going on at this point. Yeah, that's fair. That's that's definitely fair, especially the penalties on the last drive. I, I would say the interception one was the worst one to me, um, which was you know before the the last drive, and and obviously uh, potentially. I mean, who knows? I, I like I said, I don't think that the outcome changes uh, regardless of any of those flags. Uh, but yeah, I, the, the interception no. one I thought was the the biggest miss. Um, yeah, look, it's it's uh it's a. The, the, here's the other thing that I brought up yesterday that I want to get your opinion on. The I, I'm a big NFL offseason fan. I, I love free agency. I love the NFL draft. When you consider what Tampa Bay did last season, last offseason into the early stages of this year to bring in not only Tom Brady, but they brought in Gronk, who scored two touchdowns in the Super Bowl. They brought in Fournette, who scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl. They brought in Antonio Brown, who scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl. And they drafted... <laughs> Tristan Wirfs, who was one of the best right tackles in the NFL this season as a rookie, and Antoine Winfield at safety. That's that's. I'm I'm trying to think of another offseason collection of players that you can consider better than that group in terms of what they meant to a team winning a championship. Not off the top of my head. Uh, I was thinking about when the Patriots signed. I remember if they signed Chris Long and. Um, Daryl Revis in the same year. I was trying to remember if those two were on the, I think those two were on the same team. Uh, Revis for certain came in, played one year and had, had a major impact on the, on, on the Patriots and, the, and then bolted afterwards. Um, but as an overall collection, um, you know, the best collection might've been in all of sports might've been that uh, Florida Marlins team that beat the Indians in 97 where you had, I want to say guys like Gary Sheffield were, were on that team. I mean, they, they were, they were loaded and they completely did a fire sale. Um, they completely did a, a fire sale after it. Um, golly, I'm trying to remember who all they brought in free. All right. So I'm pulling a baseball reference now. Um, some of the guys on that team. Yeah. Uh, Charles Johnson, Playing catcher, not not bad at all. Uh, Jeff Conai, Luis Luis Castillo, Edgar Renteria, Bobby Bonilla, uh, Moises Alou. Were Devin all those White, guys brought Gary in? Sheffield. Were all those guys brought in that off season to before the championship? I want to say some of them were. Okay. I, I think I think Charles Johnson was uh, was a Marlin guy. Um, they had Kevin Brown as uh, one of their pitchers. Um, we're going to see who they had on the, who they had on the infield. Oh my golly. Um, yeah. Who all did they have? Jim Einrich, um, Cliff Lord, Cliff 
Boyfoot on that team. Jeez, Craig Zahn, remember him, Craig Council. So, yeah, I think some of them were brought in, but I think more than anything, I remember those guys. Moises Alou. Yeah, and I think yeah. Moises Alou was on that team. Uh, and then they just fire-sold everyone. Al Leiter, <laughs> looking at the pictures now, was ridiculous. Absolute Devin White. Yeah, Devon White was on that team. Oh my God. I don't remember if all of them were brought in that offseason. I just remember they were there. It was sort of kind of like the first super team ever yeah. really yeah. put together, is what it felt like. And then it was like, oh, this is costing us too much money uh, to win a world championship. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was Oprah Winfrey time. You get a Marlin. You get a Marlin. You get a Marlin. Um, Levon Hernandez, but I don't. I think that may have been the first team that Levon Hernandez was on. So I don't think all those guys were brought in quite the way the Buccaneers did it. And off the top of my head, I can't think of anyone that was as successful as successful as the Bucks doing that. Yeah, yeah. They uh, I, like Tampa had talent with Jameis Winston, and you know, I, I've I've heard a lot of. Uh, the defense, you know, really emerged. And and look, Jameis Winston threw, what, 30-something interceptions? Like, Oakland yeah. fans should know this pretty well. Like, your defense uh, is, is you know, capable of, of certain things. And then, you know, some of it is, is uh, you know, how much you're on the field. Some of it is, is positions you're put in. Um, it's not just like, you, uh, it's unfair to just evaluate a defense you know, for like based on stats, like again, you know, sometimes you get, sometimes there's a freaking pick six that, you know, like you look at the box score and you're like, they gave up 24 points. And it's like, well, you know, maybe there were two pick sixes in the game. That's not on the defense, but um, that defense had dudes. It's not like that defense was without guys. They just played on a team where their offense, I think put them in a lot of bad situations, lots of turnovers. And the thing about Brady you know, I know he threw the three picks in the NFC Championship game and the defense overcame that. But, um, I mean, for most of the year, even if he wasn't great all year long, he, he wasn't losing them games the way that Jameis Winston was. No. And he is he's the type of guy that he never... The, the thing about Tom Brady is that he never plays outside himself. And he's very good at, at, at taking... At taking what is given to him, so if it's a short pass, it'll be a short pass. He sees something long, obviously he'll do it. But he's not going to—he's not going to force things where they don't need to go. And I think most of all, he's not a guy that that, that really feels pressure. Like if, if your team is down, he doesn't feel like he has to force something in, in order for them to win. That's not to say that he hasn't during his career, because there are times you can go back and look with the Patriots especially during the regular season and probably during that uh, last game that he played in New England where they lost to the Titans where he was um, probably forcing things a little bit too much. But this year, he seemed just just more relaxed. And maybe you shot that up not only to experience, but also not being around Bill Belichick um, and, and not having – I mean, in, in Tampa Bay – Honestly, what I never got the sense from Tom, from, Tam, from Tom Brady this year is that there was pressure to win the Super Bowl or get this team to the Super Bowl. It felt like it was gravy. Now, as the playoffs went along... Especially and after Orleans, the start, because what they were, what, 7-5? and five? 
And yeah, I mean, yeah, even if you had expectations to start the season, I think most people probably got rid of those somewhere along the way. Yeah. Um, it just, when it, it built, it built to that once they got past New Orleans, it's like, okay, well, now you got a chance to, to play at, at home. You, you've got to win this game. But I think as, as without the offseason that you normally would have had, with him having to find high school fields just to connect with teammates, just to get some sort of work in, it, it, seemed, to, it, it seemed to allow him to grow at a natural at a, at, a, at a natural pace throughout throughout the year, which is weird. I mean, it's almost like watching them was like watching the Miami Heat with LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh their first year. And you remember how long it took them to get good, and then by the time they hit the playoffs, they were they were ready to make their run. That's what it was like watching Tampa Bay this year. Yeah. Just to see if they can to see if they can get their footing. I kinda I, I will always wonder how good could they have been had you had had you not had a pandemic and, and Tom Brady been able to do what he normally does. I, I do wonder that. And uh, it will be in, you know be interesting to see next year. Um you know Roger Goodell saying the offseason will be virtual this year, but it'll be interesting to see if since he's got a little bit more chemistry with this team, and that defense is a year, you know, a, a year season. Um, the offensive line is going to be going to be interesting to see just how all all this shakes out next season. See if they they can be as good as as they were at the end of this year. All right, let's uh, let's let's hit your uh, your your story on uh, Texas State and uh, their entire recruiting class being from the transfer portal. Uh, this is this is cool. I hadn't heard this story, uh, but I, I do think it's fascinating. Do you think that we will get to a point where we see a Power Five school do something like this? Yes, I do. Um, and I think that Power Five school. I don't think it'll be. Uh, it's not going to be any of the guy, any of your usual suspects that make the college football playoffs. I think it'll come in a year where like, I think it'll come in a year like Josh Heifel's facing this year where you come in, maybe the program is wrecked because of probation. You don't have as many scholarships to give. You're decimated and you're, I don't know, you're already kind of maybe a middle-of-the-road program or maybe you were once really good program, but you've fallen on hard times. I, I, it, it might, I mean, it's a good way to do a quick turnaround. If you can get some ready-made players, and as Fabitol says, hey, there's a million guys in the portal and there's not that many scholarships to give, well, if guys are just going to continue to just jump in, you know, I'm not playing, I'm just going to jump in the portal, I could see a power five school giving enough guys a lifeline to say, Hey, why don't you come here and play? We can get you on the field right away and, and we'll be good. Just get here by spring and, and learn the system. Yeah, I can totally see this happening, but I don't think it, I don't think Lincoln Riley will do it. While OU's on top, I think it'll, if there's any school I think could do it in the big 12 right now, it'd be Kansas. If, if less miles yeah, were to leave, I, I think yeah. i I think if you were to come in at Kansas and take over for less miles, that's how I would do my first recruiting class. 
is I wouldn't even mess with high school kids. I would just go get kids through the portal, ready kids who are ready to play, and um, and put them on the field now, and then start making your way through high school kids. And it, I think the reason it works so well for a Texas State is sometimes when you enter the portal, again, like I said earlier, that may be the best offer you get is a Texas State. You may have played at OU, but there just may not be that many scholarships out there from other good schools. But Texas State is saying, "Come on!" Right, and then you jump, and then you jump and do it. They can, you know, I think it works well for them for the UNLVs to, to, to find kids who are unhappy and then bring them on as quickly as possible. Um, I also think it works really well for FCS schools and schools like you know. Schools like UCO, Division II schools. So it's it's an interesting thing. But yeah, I, I, it's a long-winded way of saying, yeah, I, I can I can see Kansas doing that sooner rather than later, if Les Miles decides to leave. It kind of feels like what, uh, in a way, like what Bill Snyder did at Kansas State, right? Like he went the JUCO route for a long time. And, you know, that was, a, that was one of the worst programs in college football history. And he turned it around. I think the biggest risk with doing something like that is number one, chemistry is really tough. Bringing in that many guys from that many backgrounds, like getting them to mesh is obviously something that you have to pay attention to. But the other thing that I think is, is probably the toughest part to get the ball rolling with is culture, right? At least with high school kids, you're bringing them in and you're kind of molding them to what your culture is. When you're bringing that many guys that have already experienced, you know, different cultures, different college football cultures, different way, ways of doing things, and you bring all those guys into one place, like that to me would be the biggest challenge. And again, I think that's that's one of the biggest uh, pros on on uh, Bill Snyder's resume to to you know for him to continually run the program the way that he did and maintain such a high level of success consistently going the JUCO route, I thought was, I mean, it's incredible, but I think it's a very rare thing to be able to be a a leader that can make all of that work. Right. Right. Well, I think you're right. The other, but but the advantage into bringing in a kid through the transfer portal is if they've already been a year or two into, into college football, then they know what to expect. Because yes, culture is a big thing to adjust to, but they already understand the speed of the game. They understand the physicality of the game. They should have an understanding of what it means to get ready to play every week and how hard you're gonna, how hard you have to work to do that. How to, how you study your film, how to manage your time with classes. Like they get all that. Where high school kids, that's something that that they have to adjust to. Although. I mean, I say that, Colby, it feels like high school kids right now coming in to a lot of these systems pick all that stuff up pretty quick. Yeah. Like, even just the adjusting to college life, they seem to have a maturity that wasn't there 20 years ago, certainly wasn't there 30 years ago. They seem to just be ready to go to college nowadays. And I'm not real sure what to contribute that to. I understand how Spencer Rattler can handle the spotlight because you've been in it since you were in middle school or grade school. That makes perfect sense. But to go from high school to college, class management, workouts, 
film study, speed of the game, all that seems to, to have come very natural to him. That That is what is impressive, not just about Spencer Rattler, but about a lot of kids playing this game on, on both sides of the ball. I mean, there are kids you could point that out at OSU, Trace Ford. I God, I was surprised at one, just how big he got from high school. Like, I watched that kid play in high school. His body was totally different from the last time I saw him step on the football field in high school his senior year to when he started as a freshman at Oklahoma State. That was an amazing transformation. Um, I guess what you chalk it up to is, is the early entry for a lot of these kids. <laughs> yeah. they, get to do trial and, they get to do trial and error in spring, so by the time the fall rolls around, it's like, oh, yeah, this is nothing. Yeah. Yeah, we're just we're just adding games. We're just adding games and travel to it. But now nah, I get this down. I just most high schools I think are just so much more advanced today than they were, you know, years ago. Uh, that that number one, I, I think just the 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 amount of advanced football that you're exposed to uh, is significantly greater than it was, you know, w- when you and I were were that age. Uh, and you know, facilities are better. Um, Everybody now has off-season workouts. I mean, it's it's you know become uh, a a twelve-month-a-year sport. I mean, there's there's not really an off-season anymore. And then stylistically, obviously, like there's there's not really a giant learning curve for most from most high schools to most colleges now, right? Like we we see this now on all three levels. Like all three levels have never been this close as far as what you see the majority of the places. That's that's true. Well, I okay, that's true with a caveat. The biggest classes in high school, absolutely yes. So, like, if, if you are lucky enough in Oklahoma to play at Owasso, Broken Arrow, um, Jinx, Union, Edmond Santa Fe, um, Deer Creek. Oh my God, Deer Creek has amazing facilities. Um, yeah. UConn. Mustang, you're, you're lucky enough to play at, at those places, then yes, you're absolutely right. Um, if you're coming from a Clinton, if you're coming from a Seminole, um, coming from a Muskogee, which has good facilities, but they're not, you know, overwhelmingly great, then yeah, it, it, it's still a little bit of a culture shock the, the first time you go on a recruiting trip, especially to OU, but even Oklahoma State, where you're like, oh my God. You know, and, and there's somebody there with, you know, who can help you with your nutrition. Because even in high school, as good as your nutrition can be, and as much as your coaches are telling you about it, you're still a little bit on your own. You're, you're having to do the research. You're having to talk to people about it. Whereas in college, there's somebody there doing that for you. So I, it, I think with the early entry, um, like you're saying, it's a little bit closer now, but the spread offense certainly helps because you, you see people going from the spread to the spread terminology, whatever they're doing probably stays a lot more the same, but it feels like they're making it easier for kids to make that transition because they know they've only got them for three years. If they're any good, right? So get them, get them ready, get them playing. Let's get what we can out of them for three, these three years before they're, before they're off to the NFL and college realize colleges are realizing how much it benefits them to help do whatever they can to push these kids along and get them in easy classes or manage their time or do whatever. They're doing everything they can to make it work. 
real quick, make the argument, regardless of your stance, I'm just curious what the argument is for the people that say the the transfer portal is bad for the sport. What are they afraid of happening? Well, I, I think there's a couple. When people say that, one, I want to think they have the kids' best interest in mind. Okay, I, I want to think they're not just worried about the free agency and the professionalism of college sports, which, by the way, I mean, that, that's out the door. College football is professional football. Just get over it. Right. What I want to think when people say that is when you have over 1,800 kids go into the portal, and I think we figured it out. It was like 11, it's 1,800 kids in the portal, and there's like 11,000 scholarships total. Uh, 130 schools with 85 on scholarship. I think that's how we did the math. Is that you want a kid to understand if you if that kid is the third kid on the depth chart, okay, Chandler Morris, you want to go to TCU to be closer to your parents, okay, that's fine. But understand, Chandler, when you go there, there's no guarantee that just because you might be the best quarterback on campus at TCU now, while you're sitting here in Norman, that when you get down there and when Gary Patterson gets his recruiting class signed or who else he's looking at in the transfer portal, that you're going to be that kid. So you could wind up in the exact same position at TCU that you do OU. Are you going to be happier doing that? Are you going to be happier being closer to your family? Are you going to be happier going there and, and, and being the third stringer there than you are at OU. And if the answer is yes, more power to you. But if you're not, don't waste an opportunity that you have here to grow, be a part of a program that's probably going to go to the college football playoff, if not every year, every other year, win Big 12 championships. And when you talk to your friends and say, I played at OU, I mean, heck, if you just play football at OU, you walk right out and somebody will give you a job in, in this in this state, kids need to understand what they're giving up. And 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 I don't have any problem with kids doing what they want, what's what's best for them. Just know the reason why. And know that that grass isn't always greener on the other side. And look, if it is, if you just want to play and you know you're not going to get playing time at a school like Oklahoma or Oklahoma State, and you're going to be better off at a UCL, then go. There should be no ill will towards that whatsoever. Um, Just understand that when you jump in, one, if you're that borderline kid and you jump in at OU, Lincoln Riley may cut, cut you loose right then and there. Your scholarship will be good through the end of the semester, but you know, there may not be a second chance for you at OU if you don't find what you're looking for. Yeah. And because look, I, I, think a lot of else, the, I think a lot of the kids He, like anyone transfer. else, wants, wants a difference maker. Yeah. I mean, so. Yeah. I think a lot of the kids that transfer are guys that have probably been told by their coaching staff, you're, you're not going to have an opportunity here. I, I don't think that the majority of kids are just like, throwing a tantrum and feeling like they're not getting a fair shot. Now, I'm not, again, there are exceptions to every rule, but, um, you know, I, I think a lot of these kids have evaluated these things appropriately and understand the position they're in and what they're facing as far as getting playing time. And, you know, like we talked about, I think, a week or two ago, um, you know, there's so much that happens behind the scenes with coaches telling kids like, hey, 
it might be a better situation for you to go look somewhere else. You know, coaches may have a starter in place, and then they know that the next guy they're recruiting is going to fill that spot as soon as it's open. So the guy in the middle is is kind of in no man's land. So uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't see where it's bad for the sport. It's not like we see Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State going and pulling the best free agents from, you know, these podunk universities to, to win national championships. Uh, so, no. So, you know, like, no. it's, I, I just don't see where it's bad for the sport. And, like, I'll give the Chandler Morris thing, use that as, as an example. I actually like when a kid like Chandler Morris goes into a situation like OU knowing they have Spencer Rattler. And the guy that they recruit after me is probably also going to be an NFL caliber type of guy. I'm going to take a shot there and I'm going to go compete against the best. And maybe I win and I get the quarterback spot and maybe I don't, but I'm going to go compete. And if I don't get it again, then you go somewhere else. You go, you go try it, you know, at TCU or you go try it at Colorado state. But, um, you know, would we blame these kids more? It's like, there's a no win situation. If Chandler Morris was deciding between OU and, you know, I'll just like Colorado state, for example, where he could, he could potentially start People would say he's taking the easy way out by going to a smaller university where there's not as much competition. See, so that, that that that's crap. Yeah. That, that that's total crap. It you you got to remember you've only got five years, right. five years right. to play four. Get longer now, and if if, some, if you can actually get on the field and play, even if you've got no chance of ever making it past college. That might be the hell of a lot more enjoyable experience to you than than sitting on the sidelines at OU. Yeah, it's not your dream; it's their dream. And as long as the kids have done the research, they're making a sound decision. There shouldn't be there shouldn't be any issue with that. No one should have a problem. And if they can play right away versus having to sit out a year, people shouldn't have an issue with that. Yes, is there going to be poaching? Is there going to be recruiting through the back door sure but there's there's already been that that's already been going on i you just kids have had to sit out a year i mean you just it doesn't take much for you to have lost out on a kid pick up the phone and call their high school coach hey is you know tim you know have is he happy at tennessee well you know just in case he didn't just let him know he's got a home here Right. You know, we always right. got we always get something like I mean, it's always been happening. It's going to continue to happen, but it, but that just goes back to college football always being a dirty business, and that that part of it's <laughs> right. never going to change. So right. I like I have no problem with it. I just what I would hate to see though is that kind of vagabond kid um, who starts out in a place like Oklahoma State, doesn't get playing time transfers to you know transfers to like New Mexico doesn't get the playing time there and then you know maybe has two years left and then then ends up in the FCS when he can when he could have avoided a lot of headaches and gone FCS right out of Oklahoma State um, and part of that is is look coaches have got to start being honest with kids and, and that's what I would hope the transfer portal yeah. would do. Like you said, you're not going to make it here. You might want to look somewhere else. Here's the level you can probably play at. Now, you may not agree with that coach, and there may be other coaches at other schools that do not agree with what that coach said, but there has to become a reality check has to come in as far as how good you are and 
hey, when you get an offer for free school, don't, 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 you know, don't turn your nose up at it, even if it's not necessarily the ideal place that, that, that you want to go. You can go play, then go, then go play. Go play your four years. Dude, I enjoyed the conversation. A lot of fun. Always appreciate it. And uh, we will catch up next Tuesday. Thank you very much, Colby. Eric G., Tulsa Sports Animal, joining me on the Colby Daniels Podcast. That is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. If you have any questions whatsoever about these products, don't hesitate to give them a call, 405-458-9699. Plus, we're saving you 15% off your online order at abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code ColbyShow, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W. Discount code ColbyShow for 15% off at abotanicalcompany.com. Easy and safe pickup. They have a drive through so it's a very simple process. Order online, save 15% with the discount code, and you can pick up through their drive through Very, very easy. abotanicalcompany.com. Discount code ColbyShow for 15% off. Everybody stay safe, have a great day, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Podcast is over.